Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys, this is Brett Claywell, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah, this is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hi, this is Beth Maitland. And this is Joel Brett. And we're on Brandon's Buzz. We're buzzing with Brandon. We are. We're buzzing with Brandon. So tune hey, in. Hey, this is Nicholas Rodriguez. You are listening to Brandon's Buzz. Be prepared to laugh. You're going to have a good time. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. This is Pamela K. Long, and I am buzzing with Brandon. And I can tell you that it's some of the most fun that you'll have. So you need to tune this in. This is Gloria Loring, and I've just been buzzed by Brandon, and I gave Brandon some buzz. This is Maya Bialik, and you are lucky enough to be listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, and welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. It's Tuesday, October 20th, 2009, 10 p.m. out in the east, 7 p.m. out west, 9 p.m. here in Texas, and I've got a great guest today right here on Brandon's Buzz. And, you know, I usually tell you how to find the show and, you know, all that crap, and I'll do that at the end because I've got a great guest tonight, and I just want to dive right in. Uh, you know, she left One Life to Live in 1992 after a memorable, Emmy-nominated three-and-a-half-year stint, but her parting gift to her fans the heart-wrenching, gorgeously lyrical extended death sequence of her character, the ever-embattled Megan Gordon Harrison, was so intensely mesmerizing that we all still vividly remember it, and her, most of two decades later. She has since gone on to a remarkable career in film and television, cultivating entire new generations of fans thanks to her work in such projects as High School Musical and True Blood, and she's recently launched an exciting new online endeavor entitled Inspire the Change, which aims to motivate us all toward going green, and she's come by the buzz this evening to discuss all of this and so much more. You know, I had a 10-minute phone conversation with her the weekend before last and had so much fun chatting with her at that time that I was on a high for the rest of the week. And I'm literally dying to dive right into this remarkable woman's incredible story tonight. Let's do it right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the enchanting, the exhilarating Jessica Tuck. Oh, my goodness, Brandon. What an incredible introduction. <laughs> I feel like the, the interview should end there. I'm not sure how I can stop that. It's very well deserved, my dear. How are you doing? I am doing very, very well. Thank you. I was just going to say, I'm sitting here with a cup of tea, excited to talk to you. <laughs> you know, it's such an honor for me. It's such a thrill. I've been a fan of yours for longer than either of either of us would care to remember, I think. Okay. <laughs> that would be <laughs> me fine. <laughs> so let's, let's, start, let's get the boring stuff out of the way. Let's get the 60-second bio on Jessica Tuck. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where did you go to school? Let's get all that stuff out of the way. All right. Well, I was born in New York City, New York, in New York Hospital, um, raised in New York as well. Um, I then went to a school outside of New York. I went to a tiny, tiny boarding school in upstate New York called North Country School. It's an amazing wow. farm school where I learned how to milk cows and pluck and degut chickens. Uh, and from there, I went to Middlesex in Concord, Massachusetts. That was my high school. And then I went to Yale. Uh, and then after Yale, I ended up pretty much um, on One Life to Live and then out to the West Coast for the rest of my, what has been my very short life. Wow. <laughs> uh, you know, is that enough bio? Is there, I, I don't know if I need No, <laughs> that's perfectly fine. You know, when you, when you say you were up, 
upstate New York as a kid. Is that is that in the Woodstock area? It was in Lake Placid, New York. Okay. And that is a beautiful, beautiful area. At about this time of year, if you can believe it, they already have snow. So that'll tell you how cold it gets up there. Wow. Um, but it, that was, I would say, in terms of my schooling, those were my most formative years and the school that I enjoyed the most. An ama- amazing people, amazing philosophy of the school, and actually really informed my um, love of, of the environment and my desire to protect it. Wow. Because they're a farm school. It's very sustainable. They, you know, we planted all our own vegetables and harvested them and raised the, you know, pigs and cows that we then chickens later ate really the kids really learned a lot about the cycles of life science classes held in the barn sometimes it was an unusual school not necessarily for everyone but uh-huh. something that i really took to you know it sounds like it especially considering what you're doing right now it's i mean it sounds like the the, the lessons that were branded into you as a kid really stuck absolutely truly wow. they're sort of instinctual as opposed to things i have to think about it's just sort of comes by habit wow you know, I, I saw on, on, on your IMDb page that you were born in 63, which, forgive me for revealing your age. On Oh, listen, I earned all those years. <laughs> That's okay. But, you know, I mean, that was, a, that was a pretty tumultuous year for this country. And, you know, you, you kind of came of age during a very interesting time. And I'm wondering if, you, if how, much of that, how much of that late 60s, early 70s stuff you remember or you remember being affected by, especially in the area where you lived. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was pretty young. Um, I think it affected my parents more than it affected me, and that indirectly infect, uh, affects me. Um, you know, I, I think it, it changed the way people parented, and I feel a little bit like there is a, a reversal of things right now. You know, sort of there was this whole sort of women's lib, and which I uh-huh. completely appreciate, but I do feel... Um, I mean, obviously, I'm only talking about one aspect of things right now, but um, that uh, it's also that our role as 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 women, you know, my my mom started off as a as just a stay at home mom and then had to and then my parents split and she had to become a working mom. And I think roles, men and women's roles really changed during that time, which was a a really important thing. Uh But also, I think it can. For me, at least, I think it confused the next generation. I mean, growing up, I was told I was supposed to be this sort of amazing, accomplished woman, you know, do really well in school and then get a great job, but somehow raise a family as well and, yeah. and be a mom and a working woman. And and I feel, it's funny because I literally was just having this conversation with a friend about how how hard it is to find that balance now between wanting to be um, a really great mother and connected to our mothering and at the same time feeling this pressure to really be um, out there in the world and working hard, it's really hard to do both. And I also think for men it's difficult, too. Like, you know, they, you know, try being a quote-unquote house husband these days, right? If you're, a, if you're a stay-at-home dad, there's all sorts of stuff attached to that. Well, uh-huh. like being a good parent is a... And a stay-at-home parent is a is a huge thing. I realize I'm 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 only sort of touching on on one tiny aspect of what you were asking about during that time. But for me, I sort sort of feel like it affected me in a beautiful way. It gave me an enormous amount of freedom as a as a woman. Really, sort of taught me to get out there and do things. But also has confused my generation a little bit about how to juggle the the work life and the home life. Um, if that makes any sense. 
You know, it does. And, you know, you are juggling it in, in, a, in a, a pretty masterful way from my eye anyway. I mean, I don't live with you, but, you know, just seeing, seeing what you do as your public persona and then, you know, knowing a little bit from talking to you about your, your private life, it seems like you are juggling them pretty well. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I think, you know, um, it's easy to be hard on oneself, right? Um, and, I, and there are times, I think, the inconsistencies of this business, I mean, as, as any kind of artist, you never really know when your next job is going to be there. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I think for my daughter, that's the hardest thing, is sometimes I'm going out to an audition and she'll say, does it shoot out of town? I mean, literally, she's six and a half, and she knows that language. Uh-huh. And I'll say, um, yeah, and she goes, well, I hope you don't get it. <laughs> uh, it's hard for her, you know? I mean, there are times when I'm gone for, I, I pretty much, knock on wood, have never been gone for more than, like, five days. I always come home on whatever weekends I have if I happen to be out on a, on a remote. Mm-hmm. But still, the inconsistencies of not being in the same place the same time every week is, sure. is, is difficult. It's why I'm very thankful to be married to... Um, someone who has a sort of a, a regular, stable, knock on wood, nine to five job. Uh, so did did you? It sounds like you kind of always knew that you wanted to be an actress somewhere inside you. Is that is that fair or no? It is sort of fair. Yeah, I mean, um, I didn't really start pursuing it uh, until after graduating from college. Uh, you know, I dabbled in it in school. Uh huh. But and I and I'm actually very happy that I got an education. I think it's really important for so many different reasons. Um, one, because I just think we need time to grow up. I mean, don't. I'm really glad I, I wasn't a child actor, and I think there are child sure. actors that are incredibly successful at, at at balancing it. But I also think that part of what we draw on as actors is our our life. And if you are a child actor, you're in the business. Your uh-huh. childhood is very very different. Um, so I, I'm glad that I had a – I'm going to kiss my daughter here. Sorry. Um, she's off to bed. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, I'm really happy that I had the balance of life and before jumping into um, a career. And that sounded a little long-winded, but um, I think it's important. I think it's important. You, you know, I, I I completely agree with you though. I, it seems like the the more experiences you have, the more I don't know, the more information you have to draw on. It 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 would it would seem like it would make your creative life richer. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think balance. Whereas you know, if if all you have to draw on is is you know living on sound stages and you know dealing with you know the the pressures of the business from say ten years old. I mean, that's it's you know people can do that and people do do that. But yeah. But I I take what you're saying very well. About having a more well-rounded character, a more well-rounded psyche. Yeah, exactly. And also just time to be a kid. Sure. I mean, when you're a kid, it is hard enough to figure out how to navigate growing older. I mean, I I watched my daughter. She went into first grade this year, and all of a sudden she's got homework. She's got a whole – it's just intense. Like, growing up, becoming an adult, and I'm still trying to do that, you know, it's like (laughs) – it's confusing. It's confusing in the best of circumstances. And when you throw in something that all your other peers may not be experiencing, namely like a career where also you're given an enormous amount of focus, I mean, kids get enough attention as it is, I think. Um, I mean, hopefully, you know, they have the focus from their parents. and everything. Then there's this sort of odd, crazy celebrity that might be thrown upon uh-huh. them. 
I can't imagine trying to navigate that as a child. Mm-hmm. And I credit, like, I really credit the parents that are around their kids that are in the business for keeping them as sane as they do when they when they turn out well. Because um, <clears throat> I think as a parent, it must be really hard to see a child get so much attention and and have to try and explain to them that this is not the way it normally is, and then to try and help them deal with the fallout of, you know, a series ending, and all of a sudden now they're just ordinary. That's hard enough for us adults. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you think about people like Gary Coleman or, or Dana Polito or, you know, those people who were literally on top of the world when their, when their series was number one, and then all of a yeah. sudden, like you say, in a, in a finger snap, it's over, and oh. then what? You know, it's it's... That what? that kind of decompression can be very hard coming back into a normal life, and you know sure. some people navigate those waters better than others. Yeah, I think if your entire life revolves around the business, I mean, really, if, I think that's true of, of anything. If if your entire life resol- revolves around something, just one thing, and then that one thing goes, and, and uh, what do you do? Then who are you? You know, I think it's really important to cultivate other things outside of what you do for a living. So you mentioned One Life right out of college. Was was One Life your big break, or was there something that happened before that that maybe kind of set you on your path a little a little before that? Um, I mean, really, One Life to Live was my first, you know, sort of quote unquote high profile professional legitimate job. Um, hopefully, you won't be able to search through and find the small things I did before that, which were mostly <laughs> NYU films and <laughs> horror films, and you know, thank God. They didn't have, you know, YouTube and all the rest of it uh, yeah. back when I was first starting out because there could be a backlog of embarrassing moments for me. Although, you know, I certainly don't regret having done any of it. I never sure. took off my clothes. I never did anything inappropriate. <laughs> but, you know, you get your feet wet doing what you can. Uh-huh. And actually, that's sort of the stuff your kids want to see more than anything. Um, but, no, I would say One Life to Live was my really my first big break. Um, and I loved it. I loved it. My three and a half years on One Life to Live spoiled me in a way because sure. um, it was we had such a good group of people. You know, I think it's like when people go to high school. It really depends on your class at the time, uh-huh. what uh-huh. your experience is like. I just feel so fortunate to have gotten a, a great group of people. Everybody was so wonderful, uh, and I it just was so sad so sad when I left and I know it was my decision <laughs> but you know I I kind of thought oh I could stay here forever I really could and and yet I wanted to try some other things and so you know that's that's exactly what I was going to ask you and I was going to ask you later but I'll, I'll I'll do it now since you're talking about it you know was it just that uh you were terrified of getting too comfortable too quickly or you know was it I mean do, do you just have a natural bit of wanderlust in you anyway I, you know, I think it's sort of a combination of a lot of things. I think it was three and a half years of, of real intense work, and I, I, to be honest, I was exhausted. I mean, knock on wood, I, I was so fortunate I got to play this amazing character that was so much fun. Um, but, you know, I had very little life outside of that, of the soap, and um, it, it really had been just the soap for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was still young enough where I could sort of try some other things and I might really regret it if I didn't. So I took the plunge. And um, 
you know, I don't regret having left. Uh, I certainly appreciate more what I had at the time. <laughs> I mean, more what I had now than, uh-huh. than I did maybe at the time. Uh-huh. So, uh you know, I think when you're young, you have a little more bravado. Yeah, you're like, sure. yeah, baby, I can get out there. And and I'm really glad. I mean, I I am really glad for the freedom I had to do some other things. I I really miss and appreciate the consistency of a soap, um, the consistency of the work, which allows you to sort of kind of um, drop into a character. The and also the the people around you. I mean, I judging Amy is is another time when. There was a great ensemble of people, and I loved, loved, loved working with them. Um, but aside from, you know, like One Life to Live was really my um, sort of jump into the business, and mm-hmm. some of those people are still my great friends, and um, and I and I loved it, and I felt safe, and I it was it was just great. Uh, you know, I, so, I can only imagine that as an actor, once you get used to the soap schedule, because I mean, even you know, even back then when you had much more time than they do now. I mean, now the soap schedule is crazy, but even back then well, it was crazy. I'm going to tell you, it's idea. a lot better now than it was when back on One Life. To, when we were on One Life to Live, they didn't do split schedules. Like now, most places, from what I understand, like we would we would get up in the morning and wherever you were in the show, you were there for the entire day. You wow. would dry block, so you'd go in in the morning and you'd stand with the director and he would tell you sort of where you're going to move on, on whatever line. Then you would go upstairs to do the camera blocking. So then you'd do the whole thing all over again for the cameras. Then we would have a dress rehearsal of the entire show. Then we would go back and we would tape the entire show. And wow. sometime in there, you had to get your hair and your makeup done. <laughs> but um, seriously, so you're like running around, you know, uh-huh. doing that stuff. But if you were there, you could get, you could easily get there at, you know, seven in the morning and not leave until seven. And I mean, you were there for a long time. Now, most shows will, some will do what they call block dress tape, which they'll come in the morning and they'll sort of figure out what they're going to do, and then they will block it. They'll dress the show and they'll tape the show one after another. So you'll within one scene like you don't we used to do it from the beginning of the show to the wow. end the beginning of the show to the end of the show <laughs> i mean it really it wasn't particularly effective in terms of time but that's how they did it uh-huh. and and everybody was there the entire time now like i know i did a i did a few i did a bit of time on um passions is it passions i can't even remember what i what my own thing that i did that's like ridiculous but yeah you did you did a short thing on sunset beach in the late 90s sunset beach sunset beach sorry that's what it was um and um they and you've, you've gone back to one life a couple of times since since you left as, yeah, as angel I've gone back to one life and they yep. definitely revamped things there and sunset beach did it where half the cast came in in the morning and half came in the afternoon so you were either in in the morning or the afternoon so you would have chunks of time either in the morning or in the afternoon free. I mean, I have to tell you, I'm not saying they don't work hard. I think daytime actors work harder than really anybody else around, and also the amount of material they have to digest and the amount of time they have to digest it is incredible, and to what they need to be able to do with it in literally, like, no (laughs) rehearsal um, is crazy. Truly, it's crazy. I don't think people give daytime enough credit. but um, but I, and so I don't want to make it seem like they're not working hard right now. Uh-huh. I do think that they have figured out how to make the schedules somewhat better than they were 
dare I say, when was I on? 20 years ago? No. <laughs> 20 years ago now? Oh, my God. Close to it. That's scary. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You so, know, the... the what I, what I was saying was, once you get used to that kind of schedule as an actor, is it hard for you to, to kind of go onto a film set now or go onto a, a primetime TV set where they take seven days to film an episode instead of one? Is it hard for you to, to kind of adjust to that once you're used to the grind of, we've got to get this out and we've got to get this out today? Well, I, I think, you know, I'm glad that I started it in the way that I did because I learned how to do it 100 miles an hour. So now when they slow down, it's a little easier, you know. So um, I, I, it wasn't hard to adjust. The hardest thing to adjust to, I have to say, was um, when you're working on a soap, you don't have to worry about continuity. They're shooting the same. Like if you and I are in a scene, they have a camera behind my head that's shooting you, uh-huh. and they have a camera behind your head that's shooting me. So they are shooting both sides of the scene at the exact same time. So whatever you do, you don't have to worry about repeating. That was one thing I didn't learn on the soap, which was the hardest thing for me to learn when I got off the soap. Because then you go and you do like a television series, um, a nighttime series, and as you said, they will shoot a scene, you know, eight times, Uh ten times from all these different angles. You have to remember exactly how you picked up that spoon. Yep. (laughs) Seriously, literally, like where you picked up that spoon and where you... I mean, God forbid that you sneeze by mistake, you better sneeze again somewhere else in the exact same place. I mean, you have to replicate your exact moves because depending on where they're shooting it, whether it's over your shoulder, you know, they may, may catch a piece of your hand, it's got to go up to your mouth at the same time with that spoon as it did in every other take in order for it to match when they stick it all together. That was something that I had not sort of taken into account because on – the soap, you are flying by the seat of your pants, having a great time, not paying attention to continuity at all. Because you don't have to. It's all being shot all together, uh-huh. all in the moment, you know. Um, so that was actually the hardest adjustment for me. Um, I was sort of amazed at the luxury of the time that you got in nighttime television and, and in film series. Um, what, was, what was hard about going to... Um, Nighttime television is when I first started, I did a lot of guest spots. I wasn't on a on an actual show as a, a series regular. And it's really hard to jump into a show, do one episode, and then be done. It's like jumping on a moving train. You have to sort of figure out the tone of the show. You, you have to sort of figure out who you are in relationship to everyone else. Um, and just as you sort of started to get a rhythm and figure out what you were doing, Boom, it's over, and, and you're moving on to the next job. Um, and the next people and the next crew. I mean, I got mm-hmm. very close to my crew on One Life to Live. I mean, I love them. Um, and I'm a big crew person. I love crew. I love mm-hmm. the you know, people behind the camera. Um, so so that, that was hard to get used to as well, is sort of coming in and out of groups as opposed to having sort of a permanent place in it, which is why, you know, judging Amy was – so nice you know i had another chance to anchor myself uh so yeah you know the the late 80s were were pretty heady time for soaps and and the one you were on particularly and you know you were thrust into the spotlight and thrown immediately to hold your own with the heavyweights like uh you know jim depiva and fiona hutchison and andrea evans eric slazak a bit later on the great jerry anthony that that first year that first year and a half was that a total blast for you creatively 
on One Life? I had such a good time. I mean, I have to say, I just thought, oh, my gosh, how did I get so lucky to land on this show? I just sort of felt like the more fun I had, the more they let me have fun. I mean, it just was almost as because my character was an actress, that was what she did for a living. You know, uh-huh. she was an actress. They, they just invented the craziest stuff for me to do. And I loved it. I mean, I just had so much fun. And, yeah, and it was like playing to go to work every day. I mean, truly, I felt like I'd hit the jackpot. And and great people. And the Absolutely. Soaps, as you said, were sort of in their heyday at the time. Absolutely. Um, and they weren't sort of struggling for viewership as they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. I mean, what a privilege and luxury and what great luck for me to end up on that on that show when I did. I mean, it really started me off on, on such a great foot. Sure. You know, my understanding is that he has mellowed considerably lately, but back in the day, Paul Roush was quite intimidating to work for, and I'm wondering if you can tell me a good Paul Roush story. You know, Paul Roush, I think he had a really, like, clear idea of how he wanted things to run. And he was really good. I mean, that man was brilliant. Um, and, I, you know, I think he could be a little scary at times, definitely. Um, I remember during my um, screen test for the show, uh, he came down on the floor and he didn't like the earrings that I was wearing and he thought my hair was too, you know, done too well. So he took my earrings off and he fluffed up my hair. And, you know, I was sort of, uh, we always had this sort of, um, I would punch him. You know, I would play with him. Uh, so I think his bark was worse worse than his bite. Um, I think he liked to run a tight ship, and he did a, a good job of it. And, you know, sometimes there would people would, you know, have get ruffled feathers. But um, I think that if you take a look at what happened under him at Absolutely. Life to Live, you'd see that he really produced some great stuff. Um, and when you look at all the when you look at all the the oversized personalities that he had to manage during his time like, at that show, I mean, it's really incredible yeah. to think of. Think of all the people who were on that show at that time. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, someone's got to play the quote-unquote bad guy. I mean, when you think about it, you've got, yeah, all the personalities. It's a nice way of saying all the egos. I mean, crazy. I mean, it, you know, soaps were in their heyday. People got recognized on the street constantly. Uh-huh. I remember the men, and, I mean, maybe they still do this. I don't know. I mean, they probably do. But, like, people would get, the guys especially, because at, at malls, you know, they would do these appearances at malls sure. and get paid bajillions of dollars. I mean, it was just crazy. And then create this sort of fan frenzy. I mean, literally running after them in the streets. And how kind of like the Beatles all over again. Right. I mean, yeah. like, how do you manage people to get that kind of attention? And that's not to say I didn't love them all. But there were times, I think, when someone, you know, there had to be a referee that got out there and blew the whistle and was like, okay, people, you know, like, let's get it together and let's do our stuff. And so, you know, he, he ruled with an iron, I was going to say an iron thumb. Is that right? Iron sense? Fist? Iron Fist. Yeah. I knew it, right? Thumb, Fist. Look at me. What? Like, somebody help me. Give me a brain. Um, <laughs> that's so scary. Sure. I mean, he was, a, he was a tough cookie, but honestly, a little poke and got him smiling. He was, he was okay in the end. And I think he had a lot to manage. And, you, you know, he had to run a tight ship if it was going to run at all. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about the Jessica Tuck years on One Life, I think it's fair to say that most fans remember two things most clearly, Megan's death, which we'll talk about in a sec, and the Daisy Awards. Uh, 
did you guys have any idea when you were filming that episode what kind of splash it would make within the community, within the industry? The Daisy Awards? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I think that I don't. I don't know that if we that we thought about the the kind of. Well, you know, I should back up. I don't think the actors were thinking. Ooh, I wonder what kind of splash this is going to have. I think they thought this is such a good idea. This is so much fun. And the thing that was great about it is that it aired. I think literally the hour before yes. the Emmys. And is, so, is it true that is it true that Paul came up with that to vent his frustration at not being nominated for any Emmys that year? Is that a true story or no? No, that I, that I don't know. I mean, the good thing, I, I have to say, quite honestly, I stayed out of the politics of of things. I really did. I mean, I I knew Paul as, I mean, he was tough cookie, but he was always very kind to me, you know. Um, I mean, sure, everybody gets into it with everybody. but um, And I'm sure there was all sorts of stuff going on, quote, unquote, upstairs, which is where all the writers were. Um, but, you know, for instance, um, Frank Valentini is one of my dearest friends, and he's now the executive producer of uh-huh. All Nights to Live. He started as a production assistant when I was first there. I mean, the two of us became instant buddies, like, literally the first day. Wow. And then I watched him work his way up the ranks while I was there, and then I left. And since then, look, he's like this brilliant executive producer. Absolutely. And I know, without going into any details, all the stuff that he has to manage, it's Huge. It's not just about sort of putting a script together and, and, and shooting it. I know what he has to manage. So, And, you know, uh, because daytime is so under the gun right now, his job seems from the outside to be impossible. I mean, it just yeah, seems, no, it seems he, I mean, backbreaking what he does. Yeah, and I'll toot his horn. I mean, I love him. I think he's brilliant, and he's such an incredibly compassionate, great guy. You know, he is, is, is just amazing. And I see how he struggles to, like, keep the balance of things. I mean, he works his behind off. And I am sure that there was a version of that going on under Paul Roush, under all of them, Mm -hmm. and the writer. You know, the politics of it all is something we don't ever know the full story of things. So I'm sort of loath to kind of say, oh, well, Paul Roush did this because of that. I I really don't know. I do know that he was excited about doing the Daisy Awards, and I think he had a great time. I think the fact that they aired the hour before the – Emmys was just sort of a brilliant thing. I, there were a couple of people who actually thought that, you know, some fans get very wrapped up in it all. Uh-huh. Like, oh, is this the Emmy? I mean, they got a little bit confused, you know. But what a great, it was a great way for us to kind of be tongue-in-cheek about certain things and take advantage of the of the, of the the format of the Emmys and just have a, a really good time with it. Um, and, you know, what, what were there ulterior motives to Paul Roush's? doing it i i really don't know i mean honestly it's nothing that he would have ever discussed with me or that gotcha. i knew about gotcha. uh, well it was still completely just uh, through the roof imaginative i mean it was it was so creative and so fun and such a blast to watch you know it, it's recently shown up on youtube people have been begging for it for years and it finally showed up a couple months ago and it was great fun going back and and watching you and 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 uh sharon squart singing sharon here, here's the yeah. shows again and just uh, you know a great great fun uh, well, I, I I really enjoyed it too. It was really fun. What brought you to the decision to leave One Life to Live? I mean, uh, well, my contract was up. I mean, okay. quite literally, my my contract was up. You know, and so I think that that's kind of like a birthday. Everybody reevaluates themselves every sure. year, or at least I do. I don't want to impose that on anyone else, but um, I think my contract was coming up, and I had to decide well what I wanted to do, whether I wanted to ask 
you know, to renegotiate and stay or or to move on. And I think, um, and I actually gave an extra six months. I, I stayed an extra six months. And um, and then I just was really, I just was, I was curious, you know, curiosity. I, I This is just the way that I am. I get curious about things. And I was courageous, a lot more honestly courageous back then than I am now. You know, like, I, if, if it were now, I don't think I would have the, the guts to, to leave. Wow. Um, I mean, I'm twice as old as I was back then. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're young and, and I wasn't married, I didn't have a boyfriend, I didn't have, you know, pretty much any overhead, now is the time to leap and, and to try and, and to try something else. Um, you know, that said, obviously, I've been back quite a few times mm-hmm. for, you know, an episode here or there or something. I mean, I love One Life to Live. Um, and I, I love going back to visit. Uh, so it's not, I didn't leave because I didn't love it. I, I left because I just thought I should, I should challenge myself more than anything. Wow. How vehemently did, did Michael Malone and Linda Gottlieb try to talk you out of it? Um, did they, did they try to talk you out well, of it? Well, I will tell you this. I actually, <laughs> I had to fight for my life with Linda Gottlieb. I mean, at one point she wasn't sure that, there was this odd period of time when <clears throat> Joe Lando left and um, the show was still on the air. I, I can't remember exactly what the thing And there was sort of like a, a dip in what they were doing with Megan. They didn't quite know what to do with Megan, my character. And um, I, I'm not going to say almost got written off the show, but almost. I mean, I literally had to sort of convince uh, Linda Gottlieb that I was worth keeping on. So bizarrely enough, um, I almost bit the dust uh, before the whole sort of Megan's death thing came around. Wow. Um, because she came on, because Linda Gottlieb came on and was doing a lot of house cleaning. Like, she mm-hmm. really wanted to change things. I mean, I think of all the producers, I think, you know, in the end she did a, a great job. And I left. I wasn't there under her for that long. But she made a lot of changes. When oh, she you, know, they, the, they, you know, they came blazing onto this show determined to craft an entire new paradigm for it. I mean, Well, exactly. And I have to tell you, that was crazy. That was a really difficult time for a lot of us. And I also think, I mean, I don't know. And, I, and again, I'm speaking without knowing all the details or completely knowledgeably, um, which is probably a dangerous place to speak from, but oh, well. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much she had worked in daytime before, um, and I, I feel like the daytime audience is very different than you can't just people are used to their people, you know. You I mean, like you, you, you can't just obliterate the Buchanans. You 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 can't you can't just switch things around so much. People have gotten comfortable with people, uh-huh. and you know, it, it, we were sort of in shock. I mean, literally, we went in shock sometimes. I, I think people come with the best intentions, but they have to consider their audience. They have to consider the medium. And I, I was sort of surprised at some of the things that were going down. Now, honestly, I would have respected her decision if it was time to let me go. It would have been time to let me go. But um, I, I think I wasn't the only one that was a little shocked that she was questioning, you know, my whether to keep me or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden they're like, oh, let's do this. And then, you know, they came up with, a, with you know, Megan's death and all that Absolutely. stuff. And then things changed. But that was, if you want to talk about a tricky time, that <laughs> was a tricky time. 
That was definitely a tricky time. Were you were you absolutely flabbergasted by the promotional blitzkrieg that they staged for what they daringly called Scheherazade Week during the, during the week that Megan passed away? I mean, were you just you were on every talk show, you were on you were in every magazine. It was crazy the the uh, the promotion they were able to get for that. It was, and again, I think part of it was I don't think they would be able to do that today, and it, and I'm certainly not giving myself credit for that. I'm giving the 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 place that soaps had in the on the airwaves. You know, there was a lot less uh, content out there, and soaps had a soaps had a big audience. Oh, sure, so, sure. You know, it's like I remember when Luke and Laura, and it certainly wasn't as big as the Luke and Laura fury. I mean, I remember Luke and Laura being on like the cover of Time magazine. You know, when they did the Luke and Laura story, right? Weren't they on like? Absolutely, Time they were. Absolutely, and, and Newsweek. Like, and Newsweek, right? I mean, so like you know, think about News Blitz. I mean, that was just crazy. Um, and and they did a lot with Megan too, absolutely. I mean, I think you know they had article in the New York Times, and I mean, definitely. I I will say that I am not a big one. I, I I got a bunch of wigs, and I used to I used to wear wigs when I left the show. Like I would disguise myself. I was a little freaked out by the um, all the attention. Seriously, it. I am a real people person i'd love to sort of immerse myself into communities and get to know people and um hear their stories uh and if someone recognizes you it changes the way they connect with you i mean all of a sudden with that recognition comes all sorts of assumptions about you all sorts of projections sure and it's really hard to connect and so as and that's not to say that i didn't feel very lucky to have all of that publicity and that the storyline did so well. I mean, I honestly, I, I you know, I am very thankful for that. But I think that the loss of one's anonymity um, is huge. I mean, it's really huge. It's one of the things, <laughs> this is going to sound odd, but, you know, I'm sort of happy that I never became some big, huge star because I am really thankful that I can walk my daughter to school every day and... Um, not worry about people following me. I mean, I feel, and I know there's a trade-off, but I can't imagine being someone that has such that is so high in profile that they literally can't even walk their child to school mm-hmm. in the morning. Mm-hmm. Or they could, but it's certainly not without an enormous amount of fanfare. Um, so um, I feel like I sort of talked off. I'm not quite sure how I got to this. Oh, I know. You were asking about the publicity. Uh, it's it was fantastic and it was frightening. It was frightening. I mean, I there were people that came up to me in the street when Megan was dying, and they'd say, "Megan, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're sick." Because you know it was winter at the time. Get back inside. And I was like, uh-huh. "No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. I'm Jessica." <laughs> yeah. And 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 you know, and I would do it sincerely. I wasn't. I didn't have any judgment about it. It's just that people get very wrapped up and and and. And look, I have my television shows that I watch, and I am really wrapped up in them too. And I think if I were to see one of the characters outside, I uh-huh. would have a moment of like, <gasps> and if I were to see the character every single day, I mean, you know, it's not just once a week, it's every single sure. day. For an hour. Be, for an hour. Yeah. And, you know, we do everything with them, right? We mm-hmm. change our clothes and eat our breakfast. I mean, you know, it's not like we're, we do everything with them. So, of course, that's who you think the person is. And quite frankly, we do sort of, meld into our soap characters a tiny bit. They they become more and more like us because 
if you're living it 24 hours a day, you spend more time being your character than you don't. It's sort of hard to figure out who you are in the end. But, you know, that that was odd. I, I actually got sent a book by a woman, like this amazing woman who wrote a book on lupus. You know, that that was odd. I, I actually got sent a book by a woman, like this amazing woman who wrote a book on lupus. She was um, not a doctor, but a, a, some kind of um, in the medical profession. And she'd written a book on lupus, and she'd written a note in it saying, Dear Jessica, I hope this will help you um, in coping with your illness. Oh my God! Uh, you know, and and I and I have to say, she wrote it to Jessica, so she was aware that I was Jessica, not Megan. Uh-huh. But still, you know, sort of confused the whole thing. So, and that happens. Poor Andrea. Ev- I think it was Andrea Evans. It was either Andrea Evans or um, Fiona Hutchinson. One of the two. I think it was Andrea. Like a fan. Oh sure, she had a she had a stalker that was that was stalking her at the studio. Yeah, and somebody else cut her hair because they were angry at the way she was. You know, everyone's always getting angry at you. I got everyone got so mad at me when I dumped, you know, quote unquote, Max James the Pirate. Like, what are you doing, dumping? <laughs> and I was like, hey, you know, I actually have a real boyfriend in real life. Um, and again, love the fans, so appreciate their support, and I count myself amongst the people who blur the line sometimes. You know, uh-huh. get so involved in characters. But that, you know, it, it does mean that off-screen, you carry your on-screen persona yep. with you. You can't help it. And yep. that influences how people interact with you, and you lose that sort of um, level playing ground that's so nice to meet somebody. You know, it's so nice to meet when you both come without expectations of uh-huh. another. I mean, we all come with expectations. The minute you see someone, you decide things about them. But I mean, you know, in a bigger way when you're a celebrity. Absolutely. You know, you weren't able to work together very long because you left the show only a couple of months after she arrived, but you did some scorching, emotionally intense work with my all-time favorite actress, uh, a magnificent lady by the name of Grace Phillips. And every time I have anybody on this show who had any contact with her whatsoever, I always ask what it was like to work with her because she is, you know, she is a scary good actress. And you know, I'm just wondering if you, if you enjoyed working with her as her sister. Loved working with Grace, and actually Grace lives out here. Um, I still see her. Uh, we we were became friends when we were on the soap, and then I left and she stayed. But then she when she came out here out to California after she left the show, and we became great friends out here too. And um, she doesn't live far from me, probably ten blocks from me. Wow. So, um, yeah, I mean, I you know actually she landscaped my she does all sorts of different things, but one of the things she does right now is she is um, a sustainable landscaper, so she landscapes people's yards um, in a sustainable way using low-water plants and, you know, really trying to be eco-conscious. And my backyard was kind of her um, <laughs> experiment. It was her first sort of big job, so the two of us kind of got our feet wet together on that one, and she did an amazing job. Um, How great. And it's gone on to, you know, landscape lots of other people's yards. Um, so I'm still very intertwined with Grace, and she's great, and she's got two kids and a wonderful husband and a very full life. And she left the acting business, you know, decided to make that a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she had other things that she wanted to pursue, and I and I also think that, uh, you know, she had two kids, and um, I think she was ready to make a leap into something different. But she she has a an, an enormously wonderful um, body of of work. Um, as you said, she's a, a very good actress. Absolutely. You know, I, I found her on Facebook, much the same way I found you, and I sent her a couple of very effusive letters, and I think I probably scared her with my passion a little bit. Um, I, you know, I would just love to have a conversation with her because she is, like I said, she is my all-time favorite actress. I just, uh, I adored the work she did on One Life to Live, and I followed her on Murder One, and you know, all her guest shots ever since, and yeah, uh, just what well, a scary good actress. Put in a good word for you. You know, I can, I will, I, I will write her a regular email, which I can give you, but. Um, I, I will fall to my knees and beg you to do that. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm, I, I, if, if I gave you her email, I think she would be very angry at me. But I'm very happy to follow through on, um, happy to send her an email and see if she would be willing to come talk to you. Especially that would be great. And you're talking to you, she'll see what a wonderful guy you are. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So m- my best friend on this planet, her name is Sherry Ann, and she is the biggest fan of an actor called Dan Futterman. And when oh. I asked her. When I asked her what she wanted to know from you, her response was, what was it like to share airspace with Dan Futterman for six years on Judging Amy? That was her immediate uh, response. So, Well, I love Danny Futterman. I love him. And we became great friends on the show and off the show. He, he has um, two beautiful children and a wonderful wife. And um, I, went to, I went to their wedding. They came to mine. Um, Danny Futterman is just a great guy. He's one of the, the nicest people you'll ever meet. I mean, really smart, great at what he does. I mean, obviously, Capote, if your friend has seen that movie, if she hasn't, she should run to go and see it, um, because he did an amazing job on that movie. Yes, and he, he wrote that, didn't he, or co-wrote yeah, it? As a writer, yes, yeah. I should mention as a writer, not even as an actor. Yeah, he's, he, Danny is really smart, um, and acting is only one of his talents. Um, he's also a really good guy. I will say the cast of Judging Amy um, was, again, sort of like One Life to Live. It was such a great group of people. Oh, my God. Amy Brenneman and Tyne Daly. I mean, how can you not just soak them in? I mean, And Marcus Giamatti, who, you know, nobody, everybody saw him as, as the nerdy little guy, as my husband. You know, we used to laugh at whose outfits were worse, mine or his, because, you know, we always wore these horrible sweater sets and the rest uh-huh. of them. I mean, his sweaters, I think that he kind of, topped me in, in, in several on several occasions. People don't know this, or maybe they do, but they should be reminded that he was so not that person. I mean, he's a bass player and wears leather pants and, you know, has a band. I mean, he is so far from that character that um, if people saw him in his everyday life, they would see what a great job he did as as uh, as that, that character. Um, he's really very different. He also has just recently got married and has a delicious little person, a little girl. Wow. So that we used to say, don't come to Judging Amy and drink the water. I think there were, and I <laughs> really, I don't even think I'm exaggerating, there were like 76 babies born in the course of the show. Um, wow. It's like everybody got pregnant. I mean, I had a, I had Samara, my daughter. Amy had two kids. Um, Danny got married, and, and Anya had, I think, did she have, she just had one while he was on the show. But, you know, um, I mean, just um, uh, I'm forgetting. I'm blanking on people's names now. Anyway, it just it it never ended. Like everybody was getting pregnant and having babies. I mean, in a way, that was what was so lovely about the show is we all met at a time in our lives when everybody was in a really good place and 
lots of people sort of got married and had babies while they were on the show. It was just like a really nice, nice time. Um, Jillian Ar- 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 Armanante, that's who I was thinking of. She also had a baby. Um, the Judging Amy Babies. Uh, <laughs> so Danny Futterman, what can I tell you? It was fabulous. I didn't get to share enough airspace with him on camera. Our characters didn't really hang out that yeah. much. Um, we did have a lot of, which they stopped shooting. We used to have these um, family scenes around the dinner table, and um, they had to stop shooting those because they just got out of control. Because when you shoot a, a scene around a dinner table, it takes, I know this is going to sound crazy, but it takes like six hours because you have to shoot from every single angle yep. all the way around the table. And it, and so you don't put a bunch of actors who like each other around a table. I mean, you know, it just generates into jokes and craziness. I have a, I have a well, a remote-controlled fart machine, so I can use, I can put the receiver anywhere I want, and then I push this little button and you get... <laughs> all these different farts. And I brought it to the table one time... <laughs> And during, you know, like different times, I would make these little fart sounds. Nobody knew where it was coming from. In the end, obviously, I was blamed for the whole thing. But <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of behavior. I suppose I shouldn't be telling people I carry fart machines around. But you know, you got to spice things up sometimes. And so, uh, Amy Brenneman and I used to eat the dessert. And once, as I said, you have to pay attention to continuity. So if you take a bite of that chocolate pudding, you got to keep taking bites of chocolate pudding. And six hours into eating chocolate pudding. You have turned into a crazy sugared up mess, and uh, it all all hell breaks loose. So, <clears throat> anyway, it was lovely to answer your question <laughs> in a very long winded way. Yeah. <laughs> it was lovely to share screen time with Danny Funderburn, but even nicer to have gotten to know him as a as a person and a great friend. Fantastic. So, uh, talk to me about InspireTheChange.com. You know, this is such a great website and such a great initiative that you've put together. And uh, uh, pardon the pun here, but talk about what inspired it. Well, you know, as I said, very early on, I I went to a school up in Lake Placid, New York, that was a farm school, and so I I learned a lot about um, about how to take care of of the planet and and really be mindful of it in in our everyday activities. Um, and so that has, has stuck with me. Uh, and then as I was having, you know, I was pregnant and, and raising Samara from a, a tiny person, you, you really start to think about the things you give your child and what they're playing with. And it just, it, all of those sort of concerns came back to me. And my partner, Annie Barnes, um, had, were actually cousins and she, her youngest um, is a day and a minute younger than Samara. We sort of had babies in tandem. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we talked a lot about um, motherhood and, and raising our kids in a particular way. And then we sort of decided that we should maybe try and actually do something with this. Uh, <laughs> and so Inspire the Change was sort of born out of our concern as mothers um, about raising our kids in a world that's a lot got a lot more things to worry about than Mm -hmm. ever before, and also wanting to connect mothers to each other. I think moms, especially now because a lot of us are working moms, are so busy that it's hard to know what to do. It's hard to find the time to to research the alternatives, to to know what you should be doing. And so if you can tap into sources that kind of like shorthand it for you, um, it, it makes it a lot easier. And so Inspire the Change 
it, the idea of it, and we're pretty much locally based in Los Angeles right now with the hope of eventually having chapters across the country. But the, the aim is to help um, families green their homes and their communities by connecting them with each other with resources that are right there at their fingertips that they might not even know, and to support them in making changes. So we have an online presence, um, which is inspirethechange.com. But then Annie and I really like to go out into the community um, and do things as well. Uh, Annie was actually just at a farmer's market this past weekend um, talking about zero-waste lunches for kids, which is to, to pack lunches that they take to school in reusable containers and things that aren't going to create a lot of waste because when you multiply how many kids go to school by the mm -hmm. amount of waste that's in their lunch boxes just in one day alone, the amount of garbage we produce is just astounding. And it's a lot healthier, actually, for kids to be taking their lunches to school in um, you know, glass containers or stainless steel containers, something that, you know, without a lot of plastic. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll start with, you know, on, on very basic levels, you know, and we work a lot with our schools um, just because if you, like me, I was sort of raised with a, an eco-consciousness, if you will. I'm raising my daughter in the same way so that it's not something she has to think about when she gets older. I mean, I don't think Samara, my daughter, has actually ever drawn a picture on what I call a virgin piece of paper. I, ha I keep all my old scripts and things like that, and she draws on the, on the back of them. So we reuse paper, and she just... She's gotten so used to it that when she actually gets a sheet of white paper that's white on both sides, she uh -huh. feels a little bit like, oh, here, can I? Is it okay? I mean, that's not to say I'm just like cruel, horrible mother that slaps her hand if she reaches for uh -huh. a blank piece of paper. But honestly, most of the time she doesn't care, and it's great. And, you know, we love creating things out of recycled materials. It's just sort of shifting the way that you think. And with Inspire the Change, we're just trying to blog about some of the things we do, invite the community to join us in some of the activities that we're either sponsoring or just participating in um, to learn more about, you know, how to take care of, of the environment. And it doesn't, it's not one of these things. I mean, I think some people think that it's going to cost a lot more money and, you know, it's so much more difficult. It's a habit that needs to be changed. And I won't lie, some things take a little longer. Uh -huh. But honestly, buying reusable containers for your child's lunchbox, it, that doesn't, once you get those containers, it's not going it, to, it, it's going to save you money because you're not going to be buying, you know, tons and tons of those little plastic bags. Yeah, sandwich bags and, and yeah, foil and, and the whole thing, yeah. Exactly, and foil and the whole thing. And, and there it is. It's just sort of like making the initial changes and then, Really, we are not these people who are like, oh, my God, look at you. Look what you're doing. You need to do this and that. We really believe it's important that people do what they can when they can, uh -huh. you know, like one step at a time, wherever it works for you. I mean, you know, we have solar panels on our house and we compost, and but I, this is what I love to do, and I have done it slowly. I don't expect people to sort of flick a switch and change their lives immediately. I think that's a surefire way to lose people is to demand that it's sort of like an all-or-nothing kind of thing. Um, it's just if everyone just does a tiny bit and then really works do, toward doing a lot more eventually, because this is not going to be a choice eventually. I mean, we are all going to have to sure. live this way, because like especially in California where I live, in Southern California, we're in a stage four drought. 
So people have got to learn how mm-hmm. to conserve on water. We have to conserve our resources because water, let me tell you, you think gas is expensive? <laughs> water is going to, people are going to be, fight, they already are fighting water, you know, wars over water. It's, you know, people go, oh, you know. Well, although I will say, I feel like the green, quote, unquote, movement is getting a lot more attention than it ever has. Oh, you know, that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, this whole idea of going green, it's all the rage right now. And in terms of, I don't know, societal and cultural buzzwords, green is hit with as big an impact as anything I can ever recall. Yeah. You know, it's it's such a it's such a massive concept, and you know it can be a bit overwhelming. And when people ask you things like, you know, what's the first step? Where do you start? What what, what do you tell them? You know, I would, the, you know, everybody always it's kind of corny, but the reduce, reuse, recycle in that order is what is important. And the first one in that in that list is reduce. So look where you can reduce the amount of garbage you produce. Be conscious when you, I mean, first of all, buy yourself some reusable um, grocery bags, right? Right there, you're not going to be taking paper or plastic when you get to the counter. I mean, that would be a, a great way to already reduce some of your waste. Even without buying, if you don't even want to buy anything, like all you want to do is like stand still in your house and think, wow, okay, well, look at that. There's a light on over there. <laughs> I need to start turning off lights. Uh-huh. Seriously, turn off lights. Start unplugging appliances and things that you don't use. There's something called phantom energy. Like appliances that are plugged in but turned off are still drawing energy. So, you know, unplug things, turn lights off. You know, it's, I, I feel like a lot of us have the same list, but turn the water off when you're brushing your teeth. You know, lather up your toothbrush, put some toothpaste on it, brush your teeth, then turn the water back on. Don't let the water run. I mean, these are all things that don't cost any money. It's about just reducing how you consume water, how you consume paper, how you create waste. So can you cut back on the magazines you buy? A lot of them are online. Can you get online newspapers as opposed to getting them delivered to your door every day, um, Mm -hmm. if that's something that you do? I mean, there are really basic, basic things that can be done. Uh, Take shorter showers. No, it's five gallons of water a minute that's what how much of water comes out of your tap so think about that when you are taking a shower you know how much water you could save we have a and i'm not again this is everybody's personal choice but we have this big sort of 10 gallon bucket that we got at osh which is like this big hardware store and our water it takes a while to heat up and so when i turn on the shower i let it run in the bucket and then when it gets to be the temperature that I like, I jump in, and I've captured the water. And then I take the water after my shower, and I, I water. I have these great succulents outside, and that's how I water my, my plants is I that's, use that's, that's water fantastic. My shower. And that, you know, that was like a $5 bucket at the, the uh, hardware store. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm not going to say everybody has to do this, but my daughter, as she says, she's gotten used to when it's yellow, let it mellow. When it's brown, flush it down, if you've heard that expression. You know, especially at night, you know, if, you're, if, if everybody goes to the bathroom at night, I mean, I'm sorry to talk about this, but, you know, you don't need to flush the toilet every time you go to the bathroom. Uh-huh. But, you know, flush it in the morning or something. You know, each, you know, most, you can take like a, a jug of, of, from like a, a milk jug. Well, actually, it's probably you want like a half-gallon jug. Fill it with water and stick it in the back of the uh, toilet bowl in there with all the water, it'll mm-hmm. displace some of the water, so it means that 
your toilet bowl won't fill up with as much water. Because you don't need five gallons of water to flush a toilet. Mm-hmm. You need about half that amount. So you can conserve the amount that comes into your tank by just sticking that jug in the back, Wow! if that makes sense. It does make sense. I mean, sense. you know, the list goes on. It goes yeah, sure. on and on and on. But it's literally becoming conscious of how we use our resources. You know, I, we grew up, I mean, I'll say I grew up at a time of, like, consumption, 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 like, buy, 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 buy everything, and disposable everything. I mean, mm-hmm. just disposable everything. And we got so used to, like, using and throwing away, using and throwing away. And that mentality has really got to change. We can't just keep throwing everything away because it doesn't go away. It's not going away. It's going someplace else. Where do they think away they? Where do we <laughs> think away is? You know, this is not pointing a finger. This is just saying, think about it. Uh-huh. Where does it go? It goes to a landfill, and and the landfills are teeming. And then it gets shipped. Then we, like, take it. We actually put it on barges and take it places. You know, we're running out of place to put our the stuff that we throw, quote, unquote, away. Away, yeah. Better not to throw it away. So reducing is the first one. Then reusing. I mean, how can you reuse things? If you don't want to go out and buy containers for your kids' lunches, use, like when you have a cottage cheese container or cream cheese or whatever it is that you, you buy that, that you use, don't throw those away. Put, thing, put some sandwiches in those. Reuse those. And then finally... Recycle them in the end. I mean, people think if they're recycling, and it's true, it's great to recycle, but before you even get to recycling, there's reducing and reducing. Mm-hmm. Recycling is sort of the last of the three stages. Still good, but can you, what, how little trash can you create? Like, challenge yourself, you know, or observe, watch, look at your garbage cans, watch how much you throw away. Every week. I mean, our family, I'm a, we're a family of three. My husband, my daughter, and me. And I am still, I mean, we're huge conservationists. And and we still throw stuff away. I mean, uh-huh. I can't believe. And we're three people that are, you know, crazy cuckoo about it. Um, <laughs> and I'm not asking everyone to be crazy cuckoo. I truly am not. This is not to say everybody has to get crazy cuckoo. It's just, just observe. And then when you observe, you go, whoa, wow, that's kind of intense. Plug your... The next time you take a shower, um, plug the the bathtub so you can see how much water you use. Like, just let it flow into the bathtub as you're taking a shower. Mm-hmm. It kind of shows you, because it just goes down the drain otherwise, and we're not really aware of it. And time yourself. Just, and try and, or better yet, time your spouse or your friend when they're not, when you don't, when they're not aware that you're timing them. Because if someone knows you're timing them, they're going to race through their shower. Just to see, on average, how long their showers are. And then sort of calculate how much water that is. And then think about the fact that, like, women in Africa carry, you know, five gallons of water or whatever, how many gallons of water on their head, and that's what they use their entire day. You know, like, in a minute, you consume. And again, you know, it's not like, well, you're not going to eat your vegetables. Well, there are starving children somewhere. You know, I can't send my vegetables to them, but I can... I can just be aware. It's an awareness thing. That's all. And I'm crazy cuckoo about it because I have a little person. I have a daughter who is going to inherit. It sounds so corny, but, you know, she is the one that is going to be around longer than me and Mm -hmm. is going to be living in a world that I am taking care of or abusing. And 
I would like to think that I'm, I'm doing everything I can to leave her something. You know, it, it just sounds like it, it sounds like it's it's all about creating new habits for yourself, and you know, yes, one person at a time. I mean, that's that's how all great movements are born, one person at a time. Yeah, and habits are hard to change. I'm so willing to say that it's not easy. It's not always easy, but yes, exactly, one person, one habit at a time. Well, I tell you what, it's a great website, and I want to tell everybody that you can find this website at www.inspirethechange.com. Uh, there are blogs, there are all kinds of tips, there are great uh, people that advertise on the site and, and partners of theirs and, you know, people who, who contribute ideas and contribute tips. And it's just a, it's a great little team of, of uh, very smart, very, very passionate people about this topic. And you can find it at inspirethechange.com. It's a, it's a great read. It's a great, you know, it, just go there and, and spend 30 minutes and kind of bum around and read the blogs and, you know, see how you can... Take these ideas and, you know, kind of adapt them for your own life and your own home and your own, you know, uh, social experience. Yeah, and also we welcome comments, you know. Let us know what you're doing. Let us know what you're thinking. Um, this, you know, our site is about connecting people with each other. So we love to hear what is on people's minds and, um, and what they're doing and what they'd like to see. So feel free to participate. Fantastic. So quickly, what's on the horizon for Jessica Tuck? What's what's coming down the pike for you? What's coming down the pike? Well, you know, I'm hoping that they'll use me again in True Blood because I have to say I'm really enjoying my stint as Nan Flanagan. Although I wish they would give me some vampire teeth. I haven't, <laughs> haven't given me things. Uh, but you I know, that is that is the hot show right now, and you kind of lucked into that role. I, I, oh my from God! From what I understand, I lucked into it. Yeah, no, I I feel very. I, I Alan Ball. He's another the creator of the show. He's just a fantastic guy, and um, I was such a fan of his from Six Feet Under and auditioned for that show a gazillion times, and it never just sort of worked out. Um, so I'm really happy to have landed uh, this role. And what's nice is, you know, she's Nan Flanagan, the character, kind of shows up every once in a while. So uh, I'm not, you know, the, one of the main characters, but I, I get to get to play every once in a while, and I um, am really enjoying it. And, uh, again, a really great group of people. This, that cast is is really fun, um, so I've got I've got that. Hopefully, I'm I'm about to um, this week. I'm shooting an episode of Flash Forward, so which is a, another new show out there, um, and apparently my role is also going to be recurring, which would be nice. Fantastic. Um, and uh, and then who knows what's on the horizon. Um, Right now, that's all that's really in the hopper. Sadly, sadly, it looks like Saving Grace. I was playing Holly Hunter's sister mm-hmm. on that show. It looks like that is going to go off the air. Oh. Um, you know, again, it's so different these days. There's so much content out there fighting for just the same amount of viewers that there ever were that uh, it's hard to keep a show going. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's not like it was when you were on One Life to Live where there were three networks and, you know, just a, a limited number of choices. Now it's... It's absolutely unlimited, and it's almost, in a way, it's almost all niche programming now. There, there, yeah. there are no more kind of mass market vehicles for people. It's all niche. Yeah, I mean, and and, and there's just so much out there. I mean, I, if, if, not only so much out there, but but unlimited ways to view what's out there. Yes, well, I mean, that's you, you exactly. Can, you right. can watch TV on your cell phone now. You can watch it on your yeah. iPod. You can watch it on your computer. You can, you know, it, 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 it makes you wonder if people even sit down and watch TV anymore on an actual television set. Well, I mean, I'm amazed that people watch it on their on their 
their phones. And I, I will just say, please, please, please don't be doing that while you're driving the car. I mean, I think it's bad <laughs> enough. No, but honestly, people text. How do people text? I, I understand that. Although I know that now people can do it without even looking. I can barely see my phone. Just so actually text on it is just crazy. Um, and certainly when you're driving, that's nuts. So just a, as a shout-out, as, as, a, as a woman with a child who would be afraid to have cars driving around with people watching things on their telephones, I mean, that's a little frightening to me. But it's true. And actually, people are starting to shoot programs specifically for yes. telephones. Yes. Um, and the problem is, is that, uh, you know, they haven't, the industry has not figured out how to monetize all of this. They haven't figured out how to make money because people can download so much stuff for free mm-hmm. that it's why a lot of things aren't surviving is that, you know, how, if you can't make money, then you can't keep it on the air, and then, you know, you can't pay the actors to work. You know, people are – it's just it's hard to figure out. They have to figure out how to monetize all of this. Um, and they have – I mean, that's what all the big, you know, brouhaha with the, with, with, with the screen actors contract and all of that, yeah. all of this new media – Mm-hmm. It's very exciting and fabulous, but it certainly throws a wrench into things in terms of trying to figure out how to survive, to produce the content and actually be able to make enough money to pay the people that are making it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, this is just an interesting time to be alive. I mean, maybe that's the way my grandmother felt. I mean, she had she watched somebody land on the moon and you know, a television, an airplane, I mean, all that sort of stuff. I exactly. sure she thought, my God, there's such an explosion of technology. And now I, I, I just can't keep up with it. I mean, the good thing is that it's changing so fast that I'll get a version of something on my computer, and then I miss the next two versions yeah. after that, but I get the next one, and so that's fine. You know, in a way it's easier because up, why bother to upgrade? Just skip the first yeah. you know, the next couple of upgrades and then get the fourth upgrade. I mean... I can't even open documents that people send me because I don't have the updated something or other. And I think, but I just updated. How is that possible? <laughs> so, I mean, it's moving so fast. It's just, it's kind of crazy. In, uh, do you remember in the movie, I think it was Apollo 13, or um, they walk into, Ed Harris, I think, walks into this room and says, and maybe not Ed Harris, but somebody, and says, um, it's a one huge room that's got a bunch of, like mechanical stuff, and it said, and is it isn't it amazing to imagine that this that the computer fits in this one big room? And like, what makes me laugh about that is like now, what that one what they needed a huge room uh-huh. to do now you can hold it in can your do palm. on a microchip. Yeah, you know, exactly. you can do it on your eyelash. I mean, it's I mean I, I just that I just I don't understand. That is a brain that I do not have any part in <laughs> whatsoever. But. Anyway. Well, I tell you what, I've kept you longer than I intended to, and it was such a great, great honor having you on my show. You know, we're, we're going to have to keep in touch because I want to know more about Inspire the Change. I should have you on just to talk about that specifically. Oh, um, well, you're very sweet. Thank you. This has been very nice. You know, I, I, uh, as your site continues to grow, I, I hope we do keep in touch and, and, you know, you keep me posted on things that are going on, things that you want to talk about because, you know, I know this site's only going to get bigger and better, and, and I want to grow right along with you, so... Well, that's that's really generous of you. Thank you, and I would be very happy to keep you up to date on on things. Um, yes, I appreciate it, and I do hope that your show grows and grows. You know, you're a lovely host, and and this has been really fun. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, before I let you go, could I get you to do a promo for my show? Sure. 
What do, how do I do that? You can say anything you like as long as it includes the words Jessica Tuck and Brandon's buzz. Hi, this is Jessica Tuck, and I am Gabin with Brandon on Brandon's buzz. Fantastic. Okay, cool. All right, well, definitely let's stay in touch. This Absolutely. was really fun, and, um, and we'll stay connected. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Okay. Best care. of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you very Bye. much. Bye. The fantastic Jessica Tuck, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz in the can for October 20th, 2009. Uh, come on back next week. Next week I've got a big show, Tuesday night, October 27th, with a fabulous singer by the name of Linda Etter. <clears throat> She's best known for her Broadway triumph on Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, good Lord, a decade ago or better. She's just released a brand new album called Soundtrack, which is a collection of her favorite film tunes. And she's coming by the show to talk about that, to talk about her career, to talk about her music, about Broadway, about life, about love. It's going to be a great show. That's Tuesday night, October 27th, one week from tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, right here on Brandon's Buzz. You can find Brandon's Buzz at uh, a variety of places. The, the, the best place to go is the show's main website, blogtalkradio.com. Brandon's Buzz. From there, you can download the show, you can listen to old shows, you can leave comments, you can send me emails, you can see what's been on the show, what's coming on the show. It's kind of a, it's a great site, and it's kind of mission control for Brandon's Buzz. Uh, that's, again, blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. You can also find me at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. There is a full radio archive at the top of the page. There's a blue button that says radio. You click on that. It takes you to a page where you can see all of my guests, and you can click on each guest and see the great banners that my pal Joanne makes to help me advertise the show, and you can also listen to the corresponding show. So that's at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. You can also find me at iTunes. I'm on iTunes, guys. Just type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Click on my logo. From there, you can download individual old shows as podcasts and you know listen to them on the device of your choosing. Or you can subscribe to the show and have each new episode automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the music store. So I'm all over the Internet. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on iTunes. I'm all over the place. Just Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that will point you in my direction. And uh, I appreciate you guys finding me and listening to me and these great guests that I keep having on. And I, you know, I hope you continue listening and enjoying and finding Brandon's Buzz. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy. Great show. Check it out. Hey, guys. This is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi. This is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Baby, when you live on the street of dreams. Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon's Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt. <laughs> 